Well, folks, it has been a long journey, but we are coming to the end of Galatians today. And as I started looking about what, where we would be going next, I briefly thought, I know Ecclesiastes. I thought, no, 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 really. I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that to them. Uh, but we are here today looking at our last statement about the gospel truth. And it's a powerful one, a meaningful one, and one that should challenge us. Anabaptist author David Augsburger once wrote, when James Calvert went out as a missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, the captain of the ship sought to turn him back. You will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. And Calvert only replied, we died before we came here. And in our text today, we have such a missionary. Now I do want to let you know that Reverend James Calvert and his wife Mary landed at Lakemba in 1838 and they remained in Fiji for the next 17 years thriving in their endeavors for Jesus. They were actually instrumental in the conversion of Thakabo the most powerful chief in the Fijian uh, Islands, the last chief. Later, Calvert served as a missionary in the diamond fields of South Africa. A heart that said, I'm ready to go where you want me to go. I will be what you want me to be. And here we have Paul. Paul, who has declared he has died in Christ, he is crucified to the world, is going to have his last words to speak to the Galatians in this letter. It's his farewell. And we need to hear what he has to say. So we'll be looking at Galatians 6, 16-18 today, and I ask you to stand and hear the word of the Lord. Paul wrote, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You may be seated. Someone once wrote that they would like to think when Paul ended his letter and he said amen, that there was a hearty amen from the congregations that heard the letter. Now folks, the reality is, we don't know if they paid attention or not. There's nothing that we can pinpoint that said they heard the words of Paul, understood them and embraced them. Now we do know the movement toward uh, circumcision among the Judaizers did die out. It may have had something to do with Paul's letter to the Galatians and it may have had something to do with the, the Jerusalem conference in Acts 15 where the church said fully and finally Gentiles do not have to convert to Judaism before they come to faith in Christ. What we do know in this passage of Scripture, when we look at what Paul was saying, Paul brought the letter to Galatians home, pointing to what it meant to live a life fully committed to Jesus Christ. He wrote to them about the marks of Christ that he bore and challenged them, I believe, to be willing to do the same. Now, when we look at this text, we're going to learn what that, that we are called to live lives 
that are sold out to Christ. We are called to be more than nominal Christians, more than people who come to church every Sunday and or every other Sunday. We are called to be like Christ. Now, what is that going to mean? What will our lives look like when and if we get serious and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. But when we look at this text, we're going to see several aspects that are revealed about having a vital relationship with Christ. Aspects that will tell us this is how we can know we are arriving at. We're never going to finish that arriving. We're coming to the place of following Him completely. And the very first aspect that we see in this text is a life lived in the blessings available only to the people of God. A life lived in the blessings that are available only to the people of God. Paul is going to do something unusual. He is going to give two benedictions within just a few words from each other. He normally does not do that. He usually gives one benediction at the end. But here, Paul gave an initial benediction that belonged only to those who lived as new creations in Christ. And he wished for them two very specific things. The very first thing he wishes for, he called for peace. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek term Irene, if you know anyone named Irene, they, their name means peace. Irene gets its basic meaning from the Hebrew word shalom of the Old Testament. It means wholeness. It means salvation. Peace does not mean there is no conflict in your life. Peace doesn't mean everybody loves each other and sits around singing kumbaya. Peace means you are whole, you are complete in God, and you have a rest in Him that the world cannot know. And then he said, I pray for you, mercy. And the, the term for that is Elias. And it is another beautiful term. Folks, we know, we, we often talk about grace being the unmerited favor of God, that God is giving to us something we don't deserve. Mercy is the other side of that. Mercy is God holding back what we do deserve. Mercy is God not giving us every person on the face of the earth judgment because we deserve it, every one of us. And it is often linked to the ideas of God's kindness, God's goodwill. And he says, this is what I want from you. This is what I need. I want you to see. I want you to, in effect, I want you to be able to live life to its fullness. But again, I remind you, this isn't a blanket prayer for every person on earth. And I don't mean to sound, that I make sound Paul cruel. He's speaking to a church and he's telling these people, I want you to know what God has in store for you in Christ Jesus. He said it belongs, these, this peace belongs to people who follow the rule. Now what did he mean? Now they read standard. The word translated rule or standard, sometimes principle, is the word in, in Greek, canon. Now you may be, familiar, not canon that goes boom, if you've ever heard the expression, the canon of scripture, that's the standard by which we say these are the books of God revealed to us in the Word of God and nothing else is. And there were standards as the church, 
across the world started looking at it. This canon, this rule, is spelled out in in chapter 6, verse 15. When Paul said, the only thing that matters is the new creation. In other words, the rule, those who have been saved by grace through faith can have the peace of God. And then he adds a phrase, and the Israel of God, mercy to the Israel of God. Now, I've already let you know, a lot of people argue a lot about the book of Galatians, and this is one more argument. What did Paul mean? Some people believe that Paul was saying that the church today is true spiritual Israel, that the church is the only Israel of God that exists today. Now, if that's what Paul meant, you would expect him to have used that argument in Romans 9-11. through Because he goes into a great extensive discussion about Israel. And he says, I would give up my salvation if it would mean my brothers in the flesh would come to know Jesus. And then he launches into a big discussion. That would have really fit well. But he didn't do that. And so, probably not. Others have argued that it is talking about Jewish Christians. Peace be to you Gentiles who know Jesus, and mercy be to the Jewish Christians that now know Jesus. Well, folks, he's already dealt with this issue earlier. Do you remember when he said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile? Why would he separate the body of Christ into two distinct peoples after he says, that doesn't matter anymore? So what is he talking about? I'll tell you what I think. And I'm not alone in this. I think Paul is looking forward out into the future. When God is going to bring everything to a close, and fully and finally, everyone who has found life in Jesus Christ, whether they are a Gentile who is being grafted into the lineage of Abraham, or they are a Jewish person who has found completion in the Messiah of God. The emphasis is the same. Peace and mercy belong to those who have trusted in what Christ has done. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. And in Romans 11.26, Paul spells out his hope for Israel. He goes into a long discussion about how God used the Gentiles to provoke His people to seek Him again. And in 11.26 he says, And so all Israel will be saved. So Paul was holding out hope God wasn't going to abandon ancient Israel, but had a plan that involved bringing those who trusted Christ into the complete family of God. So all who find life in the atoning work of Christ are recipients of this mercy and this peace. Now what does that mean for us? Something really amazing. There's a tremendous possibility for life that enriches beyond mere existence. If if I actually did start Ecclesiastes next week, you would notice themes, repetitions, and so forth. And the writer of Ecclesiastes keeps using a phrase, life lived under the sun. And I believe he's talking about just the natural life. 
The life that is not lived with an awareness of God, that isn't lived with commitment to God, it's just eking out of living. And he says, it's just this endless cycle and it goes on and on until you die and that's it. Really cheerful book. But you have to read all the way through and then you find out what God intends because God wants something more than life under the sun. A lot of people... Okay, let me, I'm going to go ahead and ask. At at any point and level in your life, have you ever felt like you were a hamster on a wheel, just running and never get anywhere? It it feels like that, doesn't it? You, you, You get up in the morning, you eat breakfast, so you'll have energy to go out and work the day, and then you eat lunch, and then you go to work, finish work, you come home, you eat, so why? So you can have, a restful night, so what? You get up and you go to work. And it's just on and on and on and on and on. Well, there are a lot of people that are searching for some kind of meaning to life. But many don't find it. There was a national survey taken in 2016 among 18 and 24-year-olds. And it reported that having a, these 18 and 24 reported having a clear purpose in life was a big part of being a real adult. I will know I'm an adult when I have a reason, a purpose. The problem was most of the people taking that survey didn't feel that they had found that purpose. So you got some 24-year-olds saying, I'm not a real adult yet. And I'm not going to be horribly mean, but I know some 40-year-olds who aren't. And you can bump that up a few decades too. More than 86 of the young pe- percent of the young people taking the survey said that making decisions in line with their purpose made them adult. But only 43% of those taking the survey said they had a clear picture of what they wanted in life. It's a little less than half. 36%, only 36% said that the career path they have chosen in life actually aligns with what they believe their life's purpose to be. So it's really important I know what I want to do, but I'm going to go do something else. But only 30%, about a third of the young people who took the survey said, we know why we're here. Christine Wellena is a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, concluded, this study isn't good news. Coasting is existing, not thriving. The majority of young people, adults, who say they don't have a clear picture of what they want in life, also say they are existing, not thriving. While those with purpose more often say they're thriving. But out of those who took the, the survey... Only 30% would say they were thriving. For you and me. Paul is wanting believers throughout the ages to know Jesus Christ is the source of our meaning in life. A relationship comes out of salvation by grace through faith. He He has given us what we need to find true life and existence. He stated it in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill, destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. If we embrace this possibility, 
that Christ has more for us than what we really understand. He has more for to give us to make life rich, meaningful, whole, peace, and mercy. That's going to give us our purpose. And it will give us power. And it will give us hope. And I really do believe this, folks. This isn't the preacher talking. I want one of my professors, while he was a pastor, said he and his wife were having a discussion on the way home from church. And he said something in front of the back seat. One of his children said, Daddy, is that the truth or are you just preaching? I'm not just preaching here, folks. I really do believe we can know this abundant life as the children of God. The testimony rings out through centuries of people who loved Christ, who followed Christ, and found their purpose and meaning in Christ. Whatever you think will make you happy in life, in this world, it will not. Unless, living a life for Jesus Christ is your source of joy. We belong to God. And that is what will see us through this journey. We can have life and that more abundantly. I was sharing with somebody, you know, I've, I've often quoted that old hymn, Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows the sorrow. That should not be the theme of the Christian life. Christ has come. And yes, we have sorrows. And yes, we have pain. But He gives us something to live for. And so the second aspect that we see about a life surrendered to Christ, we will see a sacrificial life lived following the path of the Lord. A sacrificial life. I've already stated several times in this series of sermons, I'm going to state it one more time. Folks, it can no longer be about me. I cannot be the center of the universe. I cannot be the center of my own existence. I cannot live the life that is full and free and true. Only focus on what I want. Paul demonstrated and is calling for a willingness to sacrifice. How I know that is, very simple. Paul wrote that his scars were the proof needed to end the arguments of the false teachers. Now, Paul sounds like he's really just kind of miffed. I don't want anybody bothering me anymore. That's not just a question. I don't want a personal attack. He's telling these people... You have all of the proof you will ever need to hush those false teachers who are telling you Jesus is not enough. He said the Judaizers were afraid of persecution. That's why they wouldn't preach. You didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't want what happened to Paul to happen to them. And in contrast to their the now irrelevant mark of Circumcision. Remember, Paul said, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. That's not important. He says, I have marks on my body that do mean something. Now the word translated mark in, in New International Version is the word stigmata. And you may have heard stories told about 
St. Francis of Assisi, and there have actually been hundreds and hundreds of cases reported where after an intense encounter with God, his body started showing the nail prints in his hands and his leg and the side. Um, And there are a lot of folks who who try to figure out what happened. Was it a miracle or was it his body, his mind producing the, the marks? That's not what Paul means here. He's not talking about a mystical appearance of the wounds of Christ on his body. He's talking about honest-to-goodness scars. I'm just going to tell you a few of them in 2 Corinthians 11. Verses 23 and 25. Now he goes on and adds more. But he says that he had received countless beatings. Five times he had been beaten 39 lashes of the Jews. Three times he was beaten with rods. And once he was stoned. Now, the marks, he does also talk about shipwrecks and other things as well. The marks that probably had the most permanent change in his body would have come from that time he was stoned at Lystra. You can find the story in Acts 14, verse 19. We're told he was stoned and left for dead. Now, this is the part that becomes really amazing for me. Lystra is in the area of Galatians where Paul was sending these letters. It's very possible the people of Lystra heard this letter read. And when he said, I bear scars on my body, there would have been people who were alive at the time who would remember what had happened to Paul. Now why does he bring it up now? Then, why does he talk about his scars now? At the end end of it all, Timothy George has suggested two, two reasons. When he talked about, I have marks on my body, his people most likely would have immediately thought of the branding of the flesh with slavery. It was very common for a slave of a particular family to be branded with an insignia saying, I belong to such and such. Paul was in effect saying then, I too have been branded. I am a slave of my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. If you care to look for yourself, here is His insignia imprinted on my very flesh. He's saying, look, I'm not a fair-weather Christian. I'm not going to serve Jesus only when it's everything's going right. I've been willing to take the scars on my body so that you can know who He is. And second, do you remember when He said the Judaizers were just about boasting in themselves? Boasting in the flesh, not only in their own, we know the truth. Paul's been holding back on you. We'll tell you the truth. So you can know everything we know. Oh, by the way, you will need to be circumcised in order to do that. And they were gathering up converts to bring praise to themselves. And Paul already said, I'm just going to boast in one thing. The cross of Jesus Christ. The Judaizers had their distinctive mark. It was circumcision. And their entire theological argument was, if you're not circumcised, you can't be a Christian. And they were trusting, not only in their own circumcision, they were trusting that they could get the people in those churches to be circumcised as well. And Paul said, it's not the way it works. This isn't about a theology of glory. This is about the theology of the 
cross. And when Paul said, let no one cause me trouble, what he's saying is, from now on, you don't listen to the harassment. From now on, you don't listen to the lies. You don't allow people to undermine the work that I've done before you because you have seen the scars. You have seen my commitment to Jesus Christ by the scars. And it would, they didn't just come from the Damascus Road incident. They're the signs that have happened all through my journey of faith and are evident for all of us to see. Now, what that means for us, our lives are meant to demonstrate that we truly belong to Christ. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go out and purposely try to get persecuted. I'm not asking you to go out and get somebody mad so they hit you over the head or whip you with a whip. Paul's journey was his journey. Not everyone has followed that. Although, the apostles as a whole dealt with a great deal of persecution. But there's something that has happened to us. And I need you to listen carefully. I don't want you to misconstrue what I'm saying. Misconstrue it and misunderstand it altogether. When you made a profession of faith in Christ, I'm acting under an assumption that most, if not everyone here, who is a Christian, somewhere around that time you put your trust in Christ, you were baptized. Do you know what Paul talks to the, says about baptism in Romans 6? That we were buried with Him in baptism. And within baptism, we find a mark we, we trusted in Christ. We received Him as our Savior. And we told whoever the witnesses were at the moment we were baptized, whether it be in a baptistry like here, or some of you may have been baptized in a stream or a pond, wherever it was, you were telling the world, I am a follower of Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I want to be what He wants me to be. We were declaring that we now and forever belong to Him. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to say. The baptized Christian has ceased to belong to the world and is no longer its slave. He belongs to Christ alone and his relationship with the world is mediated through Christ. The old man and his sin are judged and condemned, but out of this judgment, a new man arises as and died to the world and to sin. We are followers of Christ. And when we commit ourselves to the service of the Lord, when we say, I follow Him now, I want to do what He wants me to do. I want to serve the way He wants me to serve. We will begin living active lives of fellowship. I didn't mean fellowship. I meant fellowship. We are going to be following Him and becoming more and more like Him. That is the picture that the Scripture links to us. We are to be conformed to the image of His Son, Paul says in Romans 8. And the service will identify us with Christ and will point in those changes. Some of those marks could include what Paul talked about when he's talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Some of them could be the fact that God has used us to bring people to Christ And there may come a time when it means we may have to suffer 
true, honest, goodness, persecution. It's happening all over the world around us, and we are naive to think it could never happen here. But we are to be doing the work of God, of Christ. And people, that's why the, the, the Gentiles started calling these people Christian, little Christs. They meant to mock it. But that's what we're supposed to be. Richard Halverson was a former pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland. He was also a former chaplain of the United States Senate. And for years, he used the following benediction at the end of each service or message. It reflected his very deep conviction that his church was not only where the congregation met on Sundays, but at each place where they lived and worked through the week. And folks, I will tell you, I love this benediction. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ who indwells you by the power of His Spirit wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in His grace, His love, His power in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love that. That is our call. And so, if we're going to give our lives, if we're going to surrender, if we're going to say, Jesus, I want to be the person you want me to be, then we must be willing to take up our crosses and follow our Lord. And if you ever had an idea that being a Christian meant that you would have peace and safety from the evil of this world that somehow you were going to be unharmed. You were going to be free to, to do whatever you want and say. If you ever had the illusion that being a Christian does not cost, then you really haven't understood what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus said we must take up the cross and follow Him daily, that meant one thing to His disciples. You've got to be willing to go with Me all the way to the end. And if it means a cross, then that's what it will mean. I've often asked, how do we know we would die for Jesus? I can say that all day long. I would die for Jesus. You know why I can say it all day long? Nobody has a gun at my head. Nobody has an axe at my throat. How do I know I would die for Jesus? Am I living for Him now? Because if I'm afraid to live for Him because someone might laugh at me, someone might be unkind to me, um, I won't go to the end. So we need to have a sacrificial life recognizing I'm not the most important person in the face of this world. And I need to serve. The third aspect we see is a life grounded in the marvelous grace of our Lord and Savior. Marvelous grace. And then Paul does the unusual. He gives a second benediction. 
And he gave a second benediction that is more tender than seen in a superficial reading. If you've read much of Paul's letters, you will know when he closes out letters and he starts bringing it to an end, all of a sudden, he'll start, he'll start naming people. People in the church, people who are with him. He'll give greetings, he'll give salutations, he'll ask how they're doing. He will, he will tell Timothy, when you come to see me, bring Mark because he's good for this. All these kind of things in the ending. And there are no greetings here. And there are no salutations. And that has led some people to think that Paul is still angry and he hasn't let go of it. That Paul's anger at what they've done and what they're doing has somehow hardened him. I don't believe that. And if you just read it superficially, you could come away with that idea. But I don't believe that. And there are reasons why. And one of them is, he ended the letter as he began. In Galatians 1.3, Paul said, Grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed that grace would be with them. He bookends by starting with grace and ending with grace. They're going to get it. This life is all about grace. And he wants them to know that. And if you're angry with somebody, and you're hardened at somebody, you probably don't want grace for them. That might be one of those moments you want justice for them. But just as importantly, he does something unique. In this book alone, you will not find this in any of his other benedictions. Only here, only in Galatians where he had to say some really hard things to try and shake them up to let them know what they were doing. Paul ended his letter by telling them, I love you. Now you're looking for the words I love you. How do I know he meant that? He called them brothers. In spite of everything that's happened, in spite of how I have been wounded, in spite of my, my frustration and fear for you, I want you to know you are my brothers. And Paul never gives up on that. Paul never relinquishes them. He never says enough, it's too much. Go to them and, and, and just live your lives in the sin that you're living. No, he says, I love you. You are still my family in Christ. It's as almost if he said, I've written to you this way. I've had to put everything on the line. I've had to be tough. I've had to be strong because you needed to know the truth that you were in danger of walking away from what Christ wanted you to know and have. But just so you know, that you will always be in my heart. I wish you grace, and you are my brothers. Folks, it's time we understand all of our hope in this life is rooted in something beyond our own power. 
There are undoubtedly times we wish we could just fix ourselves once and forever. Can I get, can I get this done? Can I learn the next lesson? Can I move on? And we want to fix ourselves and we want to fix the world. We want to change the world. Unfortunately, very often the ways we want to change the world have very little to do with our faith. The reality is, we should be seeking to make this world a better place. There is a whole school of thought in Christendom, and I don't like it, that said the world is going to hell in a handbasket, there's nothing we can do, so we're not going to try. And we'll let God sort everything out in the end. When Jesus said we're salt and light, He was saying you're going to make a difference. You're going to make a difference. And that difference comes when we finally understand what Paul is saying to the Galatians. All that we do for Christ, all that we are for Christ, all that we will do for this fallen world, everything we can do that will bring bring meaning at least to a few is dependent upon the grace of God. And we must yield ourselves to His control, to His purpose, and to His will. Some of you may use the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer in your prayer life from time to time. Have you ever stopped to think for just one moment when you pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth that is in heaven? First of all, that's, that's Hebrew parallelism. Saying the same thing. God's kingdom exists where His will is being lived out. But when you pray, and Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven, you may be thinking, God, please get all these knucklehead lost people in the right path. Do you know someone else who lives in the world? Whenever I pray that, I'm praying, Lord, let Your will be in my life. And that's what Paul's saying. We can be salt to a world that is tepid, the world that is rotting. We can bring life to it. We can bring taste to it. We can bring light into a darkness of sin. We can't. So whatever battles we face, we can find the power to overcome them. In the midst of all life's storms, the grace of God can sustain us. Whatever's happening in your life right now, we can become what we were created and redeemed to be. Singer, songwriter, and author Jennifer Rothschild shared her story in Decision Magazine years ago. said, as a little girl, I was captivated by colors. I loved to get the biggest box possible and read the titles of each crayon. I remember that. I would study the differences between garnet, scarlet, maroon, and, and burgundy. My dream was to be a commercial artist. I, I remember taking a crisp white paper from my dad's office with a black felt tip pen, learning how to draw caricatures. When I was about 12, I began to have some difficulties with my sight. But they were subtle, and I didn't immediately associate the struggles with vision problems. As my junior high years unfolded, things that most students in my grade could do easily, like opening the combination locks on their lockers, reading from the chalkboard, or catching a ball out on the softball field, were becoming really hard for me. I remember sitting in class and feeling a wave of anxiety when the final bell rang, because I had to navigate the crowded hallways. I would constantly run into students, and that was so embarrassing. 
I couldn't understand what was happening. No one else seemed to be so clumsy. It took me forever to realize it was because I couldn't see the students. And my classmates could see much better than I. I'll never forget the night my mom and I were visiting a friend who lived in an upstairs apartment. I was probably 13 or 14. And as we were walking up in the dark, I was stumbling. My mom asked, Jennifer, can't you see the stairs? And I asked her with just as much curiosity, what do you mean? Can you see the stairs? By ninth grade, my eyesight had worsened. The glasses I had worn since I was a little girl were no longer compensating for my sight loss. After several visits to the eye doctor, he told my parents and me that there was something wrong and recommended we go to an eye hospital. I had no idea what I was about to discover. At the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute in Miami, the doctors told me, told us that I had retinitis pigmentosa, which essentially meant my retinas were deteriorating. The prognosis was total blindness. I don't remember the exact words that were used that day, but I do remember the word blindness. Because that's not a word I expected to hear. My parents and I had the same response. Silence. We knew something was wrong with my eyes, but even so, we were shocked. In the silence of that difficult ride home from the hospital, my mind was racing. I thought, I'm not going to be able to drive a car. I'm not going to be able to be an artist. I remembered the disappointment of that. And I questioned, are boys going to want to date me? How am I going to finish high school? Will I be able to go off to college? Sitting in the back seat of our family car, I felt my fingertips and wondered if I would have to read Braille's. Finally, we arrived home. I went straight to my old upright piano in the living room in the silence of the hospital, and the ride home was broken as I began to play. I'd taken a few years of piano lessons and could sight-read in simple keys, but on this day, I could no longer see the sheet music. Instead, I played by ear for the first, the very first time. The song that filled my living room that day the song that fills my heart to this day was a beloved hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It was a miracle that on that very dark day, God gave me hope and light through the gift of playing by ear. But the greatest miracle wasn't that I played It Is Well With My Soul. The greatest miracle was that because I was a Christian, it really was well with my soul. With such concise statement, God gave new color to my life. Blindness has remained with me. It's still not well with my circumstance. But God has made it well with my soul. One of the hardest lessons I've had to learn is that God uses painful circumstances in our lives for good. My hero, Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been in a wheelchair since she was a teenager, makes this point well when she says, that God allows what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. Jennifer said, I know that God's heart is broken when he sees our hearts break. I believe just as Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, Jesus weeps when he sees us cry tears of loss. I'm convinced that God is well acquainted with the sorrow and struggles that I experience, yet at the same time, 
He loves me enough, and this is why I'm so loyal to him, to let me encounter sorrow, taste bitter emotions, and feels loss. He trusts me to be a good steward of that sorrow. He loves me enough to let me experience that pain so that he can accomplish something he loves. Which for me has been a deeper character and a more eternal perspective. I'm convinced that God's grace has sustained me. If healing were sufficient, God would have provided it. If deliverance were sufficient, God would have delivered me. But He's allowed me to live with blindness, yet live equally with the sufficiency of His grace. And that grace shows up in different ways on different days. But in whatever way it shows up, it has always been truly sufficient. It may never be well with our circumstances, but through God's grace, it can always be well with our soul. Throughout the book of Galatians, We've seen Paul's solid commitment to the idea of God's grace. We have heard the call to die to ourselves into this world. We have been confronted with the helplessness of trying to earn our way to God. And we end today with a call to follow Christ to the uttermost, to wear in our lives those marks that identify us as He is. So this morning I ask you, will you Commit yourself to embracing the marks of Christ that follow. The marks of Christ that will show that you are His. A life of peace and mercy through grace. A sacrificial life following whatever path He leads you to. And a life that is lived, grounded in the grace of our amazing Father. Are you willing today Here I am, Lord. I don't know where you're going to lead me. I don't know the paths that I'm going to have to follow. But I trust that as I learn to yield myself into your hands, you will make my path straight.